Hi and welcome to Malicious Life. We've got a special segment for you this week, a little peek into the future. With us for this segment is Sam Curry. And if the name Sam Curry rings a bell for you, that's because Sam is a frequent guest in our show. But the reason Sam will be joining us today is that in addition to his day-to-day duties as Chief Security Officer at CyberReason, he also takes the time to try and peek into the future and decipher the trends and technologies that will impact cybersecurity in the near future. For this work, Sam recently won an award as a 30-year visionary from SC Magazine. So, Sam, welcome to Malicious Life once again. Thanks for having me, Ron. It's good to be here. Great to talk to you again. And we'll start by saying that the base of our talk today is a live webinar that you're going to host next Tuesday, December 17th, under the title, The 2020 Crystal Ball. So we'll give you more details a bit later for those of of the listeners who wish to join that webinar. But before we do, Sam, who's the intended audience for these security predictions? Is it the engineers, the executives, the sales engineers, all of the above? That's a that's a great question because uh, I think the secret answer is me. Uh, I'm the audience. Um, I, when I write these, I, I I have in mind somebody who's a little bit of an analyst, a little bit of a CISO, but really anybody anybody could could benefit from it. Um, I, I you know I've been in the security industry as as, as I guess I see magazines said for thirty years nearly, and every year there's predictions, and every year everyone comes out with reports and and pounds the podium. And let's let's be honest here. In our industry, we have an adaptive opponent. So if by some chance these you know gurus on the mountain get it right and predict things correctly, then it's really hard to make the actions you should take as a response something that can be used because the bad guys will adapt. If everybody followed your advice, you would in fact be wrong because the bad guys would do something else. They're listening um, as well. Exactly. They're, they're listening in. And if a significant number of practitioners suddenly say, hey, Sam, great advice and do it then the bad guys will be like, well, that's a dumb thing to do. I'll do something else. And so the advice that's given has to be something that is actionable and will lead to a material difference regardless of that that second-order chaos feedback loop. And on top of that, nobody's ever held accountable for the predictions that they've made previously. It's sort of like uh, um, back in the days with Almanacs, the Bickerstaff hoax, and Ben Franklin. It was, it doesn't matter if you predict something in the future, because nobody will, after the event will come back and check if you were right. You just become known as a person who sees the future. And so Crystal Ball for me was just a, a way of having a, a little joke about that. I do try to make it practical and, in fact, break it down into where the what the bad guys are doing and, and what is foreseeable in their evolutions um, that you should prepare for, what the industry is doing, and then hopefully a piece on what we should be doing anyway as an industry. And, and hopefully that hopefully that helps everybody understand security a bit. But in particular, I'm writing for the me out there, either the younger me who is an analyst or the older me who's a CSO. <laughs> and I hear the special emphasis on actionable predictions. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, in the end, nobody is just looking for science fiction or for no matter how visceral or entertaining is looking for uh, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt. What we want is to say, that's useful to me. And the real reason it's interesting isn't because New Year's is coming and the number changes in the year. It's because there's annual budgets that are synced with the calendar year. And as people do their preparations, now's the time to start saying, think about these things as you go into next year. In fact, I did it at the beginning of December this year, even to try to get ahead of that cycle a little bit. Um, you know, budgets are being, are being finalized now 
uh, in most companies for those things with the calendar year, which is still the majority. And now's the time to get in front of them and say, think about these things next year. Great. So we've got the schedule for 2020 coming up. So what are the major events scheduled for 2020 that you feel will have a significant impact on the cybersecurity battlefield? Sure. And it, actually, your, your use of the word battlefield is, is, uh, is spot on. Um, I think cyber is both the, a battlefield in its own right, and it is a domain that affects all the other battlefields. And so what Clausewitz called it, uh, called war, extension of politics by other means. Um, unfortunately, when you go to war and you have a skirmish somewhere or you shoot an archduke somewhere, um, there are terrible repercussions. Cyber is a, is a better toolkit for the extension of politics by other means. And so really what matters isn't the seasonality. There, obviously, there's the things we expect, like when retail season peaks. But what matters is the geopolitical events and who might use them either directly for political aims um, and geopolitical aims or as a cover. And so the three biggies are the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, I don't think can be ignored. And every year, I think the cyber dimension around the Olympics, every time, I should say every four years or every two years for summer and winter, the, that is going to climb. Especially, um, and, and I think, the, once that we've heard, uh, actually yesterday, mm, that Russia is going to be expelled from the games due to... Doping. Right, and, and everything should go smoothly from that point on, right? Uh, Uh, I think I think whoever whoever is looking at the Olympics and might be disgruntled like Russia not participating uh, there's probably a whole other Olympic competition going to happen and somebody's going to go for gold in cyber mm -hmm. uh, whether it's a, whether it's official or unofficial it probably is unofficial um, but the other two big events are of course brexit which has massive implications for a large number of Western economies um, and for Great Britain itself um, and finally of course the US presidential election, We've seen election tampering and, and not just critical infrastructure where a lot of the attention is, um, but also the misinformation and disinformation game. Those are huge next year. And I can't see Russia sitting back um, among many other nations and saying, hey, I'm fine with not being the Olympics. And sure, I'm not going to meddle in the US, in US politics. And that Brexit thing, that's not a big deal. But uh, keep in mind, people will also try to pose as Russia. And, and even that's just the first most obvious layer. These are, the, I think, the big things. Now, more could happen during the year, but uh, we should keep an eye to the geopolitical scene and to the economic scene if there's a, if there's a macroeconomic turn, back, turn down. Um, we should be looking to that to say, when should I expect the cyber meteorological report to turn ugly? I think that only these three events that we mentioned, the presidential elections, Brexit, and the Tokyo Olympics, will probably... Uh, give us more than a few future malicious life episodes <laughs> to say the least I think so I think <laughs> I think uh, I think there's plenty of food uh, food for for journalism really uh, and I do I do hope the mainstream media actually I do hope that they realize the cyber dimension soon enough um, I, I don't think they're thinking in those terms you know they're gearing up and bringing the vans to the events and put, getting the satellite uplinks um, and they're forgetting all of that as a tenuous thread. Uh, if the cyber dimension heats up. Yeah. So let's choose, you know, one of the predictions that you'll be talking about in the upcoming webinar and sink our teeth in it and dive deeper into it. Choose one. Yeah, uh, tough, tough one to do. There's, there's so many to choose from. I think perhaps the, one of the most topical ones in the mainstream will be 5G. Um, the 5G rollout, by the way, has, it's, just, it's just waiting to escalate. Um, We're talking about the cellular uh, networks yep. 5G new standard for communications. 
the ultra-fast uh, standard? Ultra-fast, hugely so. Um, massive increase in bandwidth, more computing near the edge. But uh, uh, five, five, most 5G cells are, are smaller than 4G, requiring more density. Um, they also, because that compute is actually closer to the device, um, the actual 5G um, device, uh, you're going to find a lot of physical hacking at those. Uh, you know, we saw this in Hong Kong, for instance, where devices were being physically hacked and cracked open and accessed uh, during the riots um, and during the... the we're talking about... You're talking about, Sam, about the actual devices in the user's hands or cell towers? No, the, the cell towers that are now becoming, they will be more common and they will, physical access will expose an awful lot. Um, but having said that, many of the 4G devices can be upgraded to 5G. 70% of those are from, from Huawei. Um, you know, the, a lot of the security, a lot has been baked in. So the telcos have started thinking, what do I put in there? However, a lot of the new attack surface is becoming less predictable uh, in the 5G world and is unknown. And so we've even seen some countries like Switzerland delay or slow down their 5G rollout, pending understanding what some of the security issues are. So on the one hand, we've got this huge hype coming out of the telecommunications industry saying 5G, 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 to the point where even people are using the word at home. Um, and you know, we see the hype like doing you know, haptic feedback surgery Uh, enabled by the fact that 5G is ubiquitous. And on the other hand, we have the potential for even massive due to bandwidth, uh, localized DDoS attacks and physical access to devices and eavesdropping and uh, big security concerns in general. And it won't be a fast rollout. The fact that many 5G cells are smaller than their 4G counterparts, even on upgraded equipment, means that there's going to have to be a lot of new hardware that's rolled out. So it'll come in cities first. And those cities, ironically, could wind up exposing a lot more privacy and security issues going forward. And so what I'm trying to do with the 5G discussion, and we'll discuss it more on the webinar, is dive into what are some of the implications and how should people be thinking about what they do for it, how they accommodate it, what does it do to their trust models, uh, that sort of thing. But aren't the telecommunications manufacturers, the equipment manufacturers, already, you know, battle-hardened and they are probably aware of, Of the cyber security threats that they will be facing you know I would like to believe so but in security we trust but verify right so until I actually see these vendors coming out and saying here's the new threat model here's where the new vulnerabilities exist here's what we've done to to accommodate those ahead of time here's where we've tested them then I still think it's a rush to get things to market um, and I having spoken with a few I'm, my confidence is not there that, that we really you understand the implications of these rollouts on a wide scale that it will still happen just as technology always rolls out but one of the things to really watch in 2020 is as these things start to gain significance and if you're a CISO or an analyst out there do keep in mind that this could have a massive impact based on where your users are on what it does to your security very interesting one of the the very interesting characteristics of the 5g technology the standard the new standard is Is the very low latency of, of communications mm-hmm. and there's lots of talk that this lower latency will enable many more interesting uh, you know implementations and applications of that technology such as for example better um, autonomous vehicles because communications will be faster with the base stations so maybe we have also not you Uh, let's say the DDoS the classic DDoS of interrupting the flow of communication reducing or halting the communications and making the latency 
too high for the correct implementation in the application. Right. That's interesting. Right. And, uh, and the avail- it's the availability impact, exactly. right? Confidentiality, integrity, availability. They're all important. The example I just gave was this notion of surgery, right? Um, the haptic feedback is the, is the um, tactile feedback that a surgeon would have from doing the surgery themselves so that somebody remote could have a scalpel and as they go to cut in a, in a 3D visualization, on the, on the far end, a robot makes the same motion. And as the robot achieves resistance, the haptic feedback to the surgeon also provides resistance. That is entirely dependent on tiny, tiny latency, right? You can't have a lag measured in, in greater than, than 100 milliseconds for that. The human, human mind perceives about 150 millisecond latency. And so it's got to be better than that in order for it to have the same tactile experience for the surgeon and then hopefully the same results. Now, if you get a if you get latency introduced from DDoS in that world, that's devastating when doing very fine surgery. In the case of the automotive industry, though, um, I think we need massive redundancy. We need to be able to say, if five G went away, could the car still drive? And and I think they're thinking along those lines, especially with short range communications protocols. In other words, you have to be able to survive a, an earthquake and power going out and cells being sabotaged. All of that, and the cars can't all be. Uh, colliding with one another, right? So there's a, there's an awful lot to this. And I think the biggest thing with 5G is it itself is an issue, but we have to think about what it does in a world where more OT and IoT devices come out. Um, the fact that they don't necessarily have the right hardware roots of trust or trust models uh, in, in, you know, inherent to them that hasn't been built in. So you'll have a bunch of devices coming out, which are weak from a security perspective, connecting over a network, which has new potential exploits and vulnerabilities um, and in this, you want to overlay your own personal security, either as an individual or a company. Um, it just requires some thinking. And I think I chose that one because I could predict, you know, sure, the bad guys will do more files malware next year or fill in the blank. Uh, I want to get away from that. If I predict it and people take, you know, follow advice or if they start thinking about it, that it would somehow become less valid as a body of work. And I think all of us in 2020 should be paying close attention to 5G and especially how it combines with some other trends around cloud and uh, edge computing and um, and IoT as well. Very interesting. I mean, only 5G by itself is, is like almost a kind of a new battlefield for cybersecurity, to continue the, an- the analogy that we started with. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sam Curie, thank you very much for joining me today. I hope you and your audience will have a very interesting and productive webinar next week. Looking forward to it. And thanks again, Ron. Thanks again. The webinar itself will take place on Tuesday, December 17th, 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 6 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. And you can register. The reg- registration is already open at malicious.life slash predictions. I'll say again, malicious.life slash predictions. And uh, thank you again, Sam. And I hope you, I hope you, the listeners, have a great week ahead of you. And we'll meet again next week for another episode of Malicious Life. Bye bye. Oh, 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 oh,